Bert mentioned that Mickey and I have been around here for a while. That is true. It was one of the high points in our professional ministry career to be a part of the Spring Valley family for six years. What is astounding is that it's been almost 14 years now since we left. But it still feels like home. I know you painted the walls, you changed the furniture, it still feels like home. At the 8.30 service, I did mention about that there were, there were many changes, not the least of which is there is a gigantic clock on that back wall. <laughs> and one of the saints, wouldn't you know, as he was going out, good to have you back with this preacher, looked at his watch and said, new clock didn't make any difference, did it? <laughs> so, I, you know, what, what can I say? I'm going to do what I came to do, so just settle in and... Maybe we'll all leave together. Maybe you'll leave first. We'll see. <laughs> this is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. And you've already heard the Epistle lesson, the letter to 1 Corinthians, appointed to be read this day. I would invite you to listen now for the Gospel text appointed for this fourth Sunday. It is a reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter, beginning to read at the 21st verse. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Beloved, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and our salvation. Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor tells the story of a friend of hers who lost his father very suddenly to a heart attack. By the time her friend got to the hospital, his father had already died, which meant no time for goodbye, no last I love you. The first time her friend got to see his father was at the funeral home. 
And when he entered that place, he walked right straight to the casket, stepped up next to it, reached in, and lifted one of his father's hands in his own. There was a lot alike in those hands, almost two of a kind, you might say, the sons and the fathers. Same size, same shape, big, competent paws that could do anything or fix anything, yet gentle enough to rock a baby to sleep. The man's father had been an auto mechanic. He was proud of his, his profession. And so he, he performed his trade with all the skill and meticulousness of a surgeon keeping a clean, spotless, tidy shop, scrubbing his hands with a boar's bristle brush before he went home in the evening. But despite his care, the father's hands always seemed to have the marks of his profession, the stains of fluids from the vehicles, the cuts and scrapes and scars from tools that have been dropped on the floor. And that's what Miss Taylor's friend was looking for. That's what he needed to see as he took his father's hand in his own. He needed to identify his father from the marks on his hands. Friends, in about a month, we Christians will be entering the season of Lent when we talk about the marks in Jesus' hand when we consider the wounds in his hands that tell us who he really was, the very Son of God whose love and mercy is forever greater than all our sin. We've seen those hands in many different ways over many years. And when we've seen them, we've known, yes, this was the Savior of the world. And although we can no longer take those broken hands in our own, we can still see what they mean with our eyes and with our heart. And we're led to confess, yes, yes, this was the Savior of the world. But that's the end of the trip. We're still at the beginning. We haven't started that Lenten journey yet. Rather, we are at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And these verses from Luke's fourth chapter, the ones that just preceded, Jesus is reminding all of those who have gathered in the synagogue in Nazareth of the words of the prophet Isaiah. He has stood up and read from that scroll and told how Isaiah understood that the very hand of God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor and release to the captive, to bring the recovery of sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed. And then Jesus took it one step further when he closed the book and he said, what you have heard will now be fulfilled in my coming. He claimed for himself the same anointing by the hand of God. And my goodness, folks got excited. I mean, this was a kid that they knew standing right here in their midst. In the, 
Isn't this Joseph's son? Is Mary's his mother? I know. We used to see him playing in the streets. I've seen him in the woodshop working next to his father. And now here he is in our synagogue, reading from our scriptures, telling us that God's work is going to be filled right here, right here among us. We are so proud. Can you stand it? I mean, he's ours. He's one of us. And they loved it. Oh, my goodness, they loved it. Luke very politely says they were amazed at the generous words that came out of his mouth. Oh, man, it bound to have been more than that. But you see, they didn't know the rest of the story. We know Jesus, don't we? We know that so often Jesus' words means so much more than they seem to say at first. We know Jesus, who time and time again just could not seem to leave what the folks thought was well enough alone. So Luke tells us how Jesus went on then after reading from Isaiah. He went on to point out to them that they knew these glimpses of God. These were their story. It was their faith tradition. The storied historical witness that they had cherished was proof of God's presence and activity among them. But, he said, these were stories that are now going to receive even greater fulfillment in the work that I have been appointed by God. But I need to let you know that work is going to look different. It's going to look different from what you've known and probably from what you expect. And when he said that word different, they went, "Uh uh-oh, alarm bells going off. Beloved community, let's remember that Jesus came to them that day in the synagogue, still feeling the water of his own baptism from the Spirit of God and the hand of John the Baptist to the River Jordan. Jesus came to them that day fresh but far from refreshed by his time of temptation in the wilderness where he refused to use the work of his hand, his life's work, to provide only for himself. He would not, he declared, live by bread alone. He came fresh from his time in the wilderness where he refused to use his hands, his life's work, only to garner adulation and authority for himself. No, his work would always point beyond himself to God's greater good. Jesus was fresh from his wilderness time of temptation where he refused to use the work of his hands to prove God's ultimate power just among their tribe. No, his work. His work would always about, be about revealing godless, God's relentless and boundless grace and mercy and forgiveness and love for all. And Jesus understood all. But in recalling their own stories and telling them his story, Jesus was telling them so much more than they wanted to hear. He was telling them that food for that one widow in Sidon 
and healing for that one leper in Syria were magnificent, but not nearly enough. I guess we could call those stories sort of trailers for the full movie that was about to be released. What those reports revealed was true, yes, but not complete. These stories were only precursors to the fullness of what was now among them. The work of Jesus' hands offering love and forgiveness and mercy and acceptance and hope and healing and fullness of life and mind and body and spirit, not just to one, not even to some, but always to all. The Reverend Ms. Taylor has a book called Home by Another Way. And in it, she writes a paragraph that is perhaps difficult for us to understand. But I think they're important words. First, she reminds us that Jesus was revealing a whole new understanding of community. That God's sense of community was so much bigger than theirs. And so he offered, he, pardon me, he offended them by telling them not one but two stories in which God had passed over them and their kind to minister to a stranger. First the widow from the wrong side of the tracks in Zarephath. Then Naaman, the Syrian, who was even an army, an officer in the Syrian army, Israel's very enemy. It was like he was telling them, as Taylor writes, that God had become chaplain to the Ku Klux Klan, or that God had passed over a Sunday school teacher who was sick in order to care for an ailing Hindu. He wasn't really telling them anything new. He was telling them things that were right there in their own scriptures, only that's not how they used scripture. They used it to close their ranks to outsiders, not to open them up. And when they heard this from Jesus, they snapped shut on him. The minute he denied their special status, he went from favorite son to degenerate stranger. So offended were they that mob mentality took over and they decided to kill him. Listen again verses 28 and 29. When they heard this, that is, when they, when they really understood what he was saying, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. When Jesus told the gathered faithful that his message of God's love would be good news to all the Gentiles like Naaman the Syrian. When he told them that his message of God's love would be intentionally focused on the marginal members of society, the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, the ones they called the others, they were frightened. And then they were angered and they wanted to kill. 
There's a well-known Quaker theologian, Parker Palmer, who has written a book called The Company of Strangers. And in it, he describes how he's counting on the church to renew public life in this country. He talks about the way public life has broken down, largely because we have begun for very good and very bad reasons to regard strangers as enemies. And he writes, in a world that grows scarier every day, many of us have retreated to well-defended private lives. We sort ourselves into tribes who are suspicious of other tribes and quite often go to war with one another, either overtly or covertly. The strangers we meet must either be kept out of our lives or made just like us. And the endless variety of humankind becomes a threat, not a blessing, and the whole body suffers. Quote. Beloved, in just a few minutes, we're going to eat from a loaf of bread. The gift of God's own hands. And we're going to drink from a cup of spilled blood. The gift of Jesus' own hands. Because as the church, we know about divine hands. We know about the open invitation of divine love. We recognize God revealed uniquely in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus our Christ. We know about Jesus himself, whose ministry showed he often preferred the company of misfits to that of religious folk. And we believe in a Lord who, while he is with us, does not belong to us. We are the church because we have dared to believe that it is God who makes us community, not we ourselves. And that our various differences are, in fact, God's best tool to opening us up to all of God's truth that is always so much bigger than we are. There's a favorite periodical of mine. In fact, it's one of the few that I really read. Some of you may know it, The Christian Century. Peter Marty is the editor. It's a periodical that claims for itself that its mission is to help us to think critically and act faithfully. And one of the issues last December, Peter Marty wrote his, his editorial, his column, and he began it this way. You won't believe this. Jesus fell off my car. On I-80 yesterday, bad tumble, 70 miles an hour fatal injuries. And then he said, that's how Pastor Josh opened a recent pastoral care meeting. It took a moment for the rest of us to figure out he was talking about the bobblehead Jesus that some prankster had stuck on the hood of his Toyota a few months earlier. You've seen it, that little white plastic Jesus in the red tunic 
spring-loaded neck, hands up raised as if he's directing the wind to glide right over that car. With Jesus on my car, Josh said, I followed every rule of the road. It was the perfect hood ornament. Kept me within the speed limit, made complete stops. He was my conscience, my compass, always had my eye on Jesus. Then it happened. Then it happened. Despite surviving rain, sleet, snow, Jesus was no match for a massive gust of wind from a passing 18-wheeler. One quick bounce off Josh's windshield and Jesus vanished, crushed beneath the weight of the following SUV. So I asked Josh, Marty wrote, if he missed having Jesus on his hood. Yeah, I really do. But you know, part of him is still there. There's some residue I can't get off. Beloved, Jesus is no longer physically among us. And I guess I'm just wondering if the world sees the residue of his life among us in the witness of our words and the work. Bow our hands. I was in a meeting last Monday morning. And as we were walking together, a young clergy friend of mine said he received a text from a member of his church that week. One evening at home, his phone dinged, picked it up, and it said simply this, Pastor, we're leaving the church. We really don't know what to say, but you are just too earnest. Yeah, that's what I said, too earnest. My friends, did you hear God's word and the words of Scripture this morning? Was Jesus being too earnest in pointing out to his ancient hearers that a world full of strangers and friends would become parts of the truth that they didn't yet understand? Was Jesus being too earnest among his own folks to the point that his only choice, if he was really going to reveal God's fullness of love in the world, was to pass through them and go on somewhere else? Beloved community, as we take this bread, as we drink from this cup, we are doing nothing less than celebrating the relentless, boundless love of God. And we recognize in this loaf and in this juice the very hands of Christ and making love tangible and transformative. Perhaps the question is whether we truly allow that earnestness of God in Christ to transform us and then through our earnestness to transform the life of our church and our city and our country and our world. Yes, physically Jesus is gone. But as people of faith, his residue is still in our hands. So perhaps the question is not really whether we recognize the hand of God in these gifts of bread and wine. Perhaps the real question 
is whether God recognizes us in the work of our hands. For you see, God's identity really is in our hands. Amen. And now I would like to invite those who are assisting with the communion, the distribution of the elements to come forward. And let us pray together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. We remember how on the night in which he gave himself up for us, Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Through your Holy Spirit, O God, make us one with all your people everywhere. As we unite our voices with theirs, to offer the prayer that Jesus taught his early disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. 
Because there is one loaf, we, though many, are one body in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us give thanks over this gift from God's own hands. Truly, this is proof of God's love toward us, the spilt blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us give thanks for this gift from God's own hands. 